This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. And in this episode, Angelo Agrizi, the state catcher canary. For nine days in January, South Africans were riveted by the live testimony of one Angelo Agrizi, a corpulent canary who sang more sweetly than any other to the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. Agrizi, who decided to spill the beans after a near-death experience, lived the high life for decades as paymaster-in-chief, or supposed chief operating officer, of Bosasa, a criminal organization which secured massively overpriced taxpayer-funded contracts by bribing state officials right up to former President Jacob Zuma. Bosasa cut its teeth in the mining industry, starting off by corrupting trade union leaders who then strong-armed mine managers into accepting the company's bloated tenders to run canteens and security services. After conquering the mining sector, the company's founder Gavin Watson used the identical template to reap far juicier profit margins in the state sector. Regular cash payments to crooked officials ensured inflated government tenders got awarded to Basasa with packets of cash going to those employed in law enforcement agencies to ensure there was no threat of prosecution. The central character in the unfolding saga lives in the appropriately named Palazzo Agrizi, a mansion which would not be out of place if featured in the television series on the homes of the rich and famous. Three Ferraris occupy a climate-controlled garage with a customized golden BMW and Porsche Cayenne parked outside between two golf carts that have been custom-made from Ferrari and Maserati parts, each worth about a quarter of a million rand. Agrizi also owns tens of millions of rands worth of art, an efficient way to launder dirty cash. Last week, Agrizi was interviewed on Johannesburg's Chai FM by Chad Thomas, a professional forensic investigator who presents the station's Confidential Brief program. Here, with permission of Chai FM station manager Kathy Kaler, are the highlights of that gripping 45-minute interview with some context from my side. We're appropriate. How is your health? I am in perfect health. Uh, my health couldn't have been better, and I think with all the stress that I've been through in the last 19 years taken away, I think that my health is phenomenal. I remember you discussing what had happened with your heart and that you had an operation where you actually died on the table. I'm pretty healthy, I'm active, and yes, I'm, I'm doing well now. Angela, let's dive right in. How long did you work for Basasa and its associated companies? I, I worked for Basasa for close on 19 years. What took you so long to come forward and make these incredible allegations during your testimony at the State Capture Inquiry? Well, it's been a long time coming, and I think it's, it's the same question I ask women that are in abusive relationships. Why do you stick it out so long? Well, because you hope it's going to get better. You can only make recommendations. You can only try and speak to people to try and change their ways. Um, it took me quite considerable amount of time, years, to get out of it. And to be quite honest with you, Chad, it was like living and working in a cult environment. I think that, that using religion and using prayer meetings, for instance, every single morning to be able to um, communicate to people and to, to kind of cover up the bad stuff is, is, makes it a cult. I mean, we've seen it all over the world. You've appeared before the State Capture Inquiry, and shortly thereafter, you and others who are allegedly implicating corruption were arrested. Uh, the obvious question that everybody wants to know, why was Gavin Watson not arrested? 
I'd like to answer that. I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to answer that question for you, but quite simply, Gavin Watson is very clever in how he does things. His name doesn't appear anywhere, and he always pushes other people to the front. Gavin Watson is the founder and owner of Bosasa, the eldest of four sons of a lay preacher from the Eastern Cape. The Watsons grew up on a farm near Somerset East and enjoyed impeccable anti-apartheid credentials through Gavin's brother Daniel, better known by his nickname of Cheeky, who was a talented rugby player four decades ago. In 1976, then 21-year-old Cheeky Watson was selected on the wing for the junior Springboks. He was subsequently invited to trials for the senior team to take on the New Zealand All Blacks that toured South Africa that year. That would have been the pinnacle of any Springboks career. Cheeky Watson, though, incurred the wrath of the rugby establishment by spurning the invitation, deciding instead to play with his brother Valence for the otherwise all-black Spring Rose Club from Port Elizabeth's New Brighton Township. The brothers subsequently represented their province in the multiracial Kwaru Union, and that evoked threats from the establishment and included them being shot at. After democracy in South Africa in 1994, the Watsons were honoured for their contribution to the creation of non-racial rugby in the country. Tell us about your heritage. Well, my heritage is very simple. My father came to South Africa in the 1950s um, and he stayed. He married a South African girl and he enjoyed the way she was cooking and he stayed. And um, that's my heritage. I'm South African born, lived in Germiston for a good part of 20 years of my life and then moved around the country. What is your background? What is it that you did before Basasa? Well, before Basasa, I was very involved with food. So I started my life out in a little bakery that a lot of your community will know in the Germiston area called Roxana Bakery. It was a favorite hangout of all the Jewish people as well. And I started learning how to bake bread there at the age of 14 years old. I then got into the food business, and I'm actually a qualified chef by trade. Are you now afraid, based on what's come out, for the, for the safety of your family and for yourself? I'm not afraid at all. I do believe that uh, God has my back, and I'm doing the right things for the right reasons, and for that reason, I'm not worried about it at all. Jeff has just sent a message in, and his message is, is quite simple and to the point. He says, Angelo, how do you hold a prayer meeting and then reconcile with uh, committing corrupt practices straight thereafter? Well, that's exactly why they'd hold the prayer meetings, is to try and negate the perception that it was corruption. And once in a while, donate money to a charitable organization, a Christian-based organization. I even remember sponsoring a whole team of people to go to um, Israel on a tour. Um, and that's the way you would negate corruption. Well, that's the way that Gavin Watson would negate corruption out there, is by actually going out there and saying, well, we're doing all this good, and that is from money that we've made out of the business. And to make the business successful, unfortunately, we have to do in Africa as Africans would want to do. For his part, Agresi was clearly comfortable with this when in Africa thought process. Subsequent to his testimony, a conversation recorded by two of the younger Watsons exposed a liberal use of deeply derogative terms when he described indigenous Africans. When confronted with the recording, Agresi admitted to being a racist, but said that this should not detract from the credibility of information that he provided to the Zondo Commission. Tell us more about the primary business of Basasa and its associated companies, specifically in the time that you spent there. Well, when I spent there, when I started off initially, um, they had the Lindella repatriation facility and one or two youth centers, um, and then one mine that did facilities management. So the whole group was geared around doing facilities management 
for the mining industry, and that then branched out to doing youth development centers and then also to look at fleet, managed fleet vehicle services for government as well. And then there was the security aspect, which they did as well. In testimony to the Zondo Commission, Negrizi explained that Basasa's business model was to bribe those who did the awarding of contracts for the various outsourced services that he mentions here. He joined the criminal enterprise, ironically, from a straight-laced company that competed with it that was chaired by the now South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. Agrizi was drawn there like a magnet after discovering Watson's operation won inflated contracts on the mines by paying off National Union of Mine Workers leaders who threatened to call strikes unless the mine management appointed Bosasa. This model was expanded into the state sector to the point that Agrizi said he packaged cash totaling 6 million rand a month into grey security bags that were handed over to those in this network of corruption. Among them, former President Jacob Zuma, and senior officials at the National Prosecuting Authority, including the Deputy Director Nomkobo Jiba, who received an apparent 100,000 rand monthly in cash to keep the law off Basasa's back. Please explain to us what, what exactly is the Lindella facility? Well, the Lindella facility has been running since 1995, and it's a facility that's used to house undocumented or illegal migrants. So we have a big influx of unidentified migrants in South Africa, and Lindella is a holding place. And the word actually means Lindella, place of holding. That is basically the context of it, is to hold people that are illegally in our country, and they are then deported from Lindella to their various countries of origin. Rumors uh, have circulated for years about Lindella. Um, there's been allegations of assaults, rapes, and even murders. Is this true? I don't want to go into the murders, but yes, I can agree that Lindella has been very infamous. Who was responsible for the actual security at Lindella? The Department of Home Affairs was responsible for the deportation and the arresting of the undocumented migrants. The people responsible for their housing, accommodation, catering and that would, be, would have been Basasa at that stage, or Leading Prospect Trading, the company's uh, trading name. Who investigated complaints against the Basasa guards at a place like Lindella? Well, you see, that's, uh, you've, got, you've hit the nail on the head there. Who does? Has IPID got the responsibility for investigating? All, the, all that you can actually do is get the Portfolio Committee on, on, on Home Affairs to investigate that. So you have got a fundamental point there, which means that, you know, government needs to look into that. Is there a need for a place like Lindella? I don't know anymore. I honestly believe that it should be decentralized to the actual border post. Chad, to give you an idea, I think we spend in excess of 20 million rand per year just on deporting these, these undocumented migrants to all over the world. Surely, if we've got them right at the borders, we can then handle it more effectively. And the majority of them are Zimbabweans and Mozambicans. Would Krugersdorp um, South African Police Services have been involved in the investigation of complaints against staff at Lindella? Most definitely. Is it true that Krugersdorp SAP's members were on the Busasa payroll as well? I, I cannot confirm that, but the rumors are true. Um, you say your client there was Home Affairs. What would you charge Home Affairs on average um, for the service to run Lindella? Well, the service you've got to remember is a fixed service, and uh, the, the average cost, if I recall correctly, was between 8 and 9 million rand per month. And I, I don't know what other term to use. For how many inmates? 
Well, the right term would be for undocumented migrants, but nonetheless, or detainees, uh, we would have between 350 and maybe five, six, seven hundred. For context, South Africa's monthly social grant to pensioners is 1,700 rand, or one-fourteenth of what Basasa was being paid for each inmate. In his testimony, Agrizi calculated that he had paid cash bribes of over 432 million rand in his career with Basasa to secure their inflated contracts, calculating a direct cost he did to the fiscus of more than 100 million rand in foregone tax. With respect, they must have lived like kings, the amount of money that was being paid to, to hold them there. Well, sure. I mean, at that kind of rate, you can put them up in the Hilton, can't you? That is really shocking. Um, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about the Watson family. They seem to have been at the center of Basasa for years, a family not without controversy. They have a history of being involved in the struggle for the liberation of South Africa. It's something that uh, they've used to their advantage for all and sundry to know how they've hosted certain people that were in exile to certain functions, etc. Who is the Watson family that you grew to knew over 19 years? Well, Gavin Watson is the oldest um, brother of the, of the Watsons. And then you've got Valence Watson, you've got Chicky Watson, and you've got Roddy Watson. And then their sister, Sharon, but she's more in the background. Are they all involved in the business? No, not at all. Valence Watson is running an um, estate, a wildlife estate in the Port Elizabeth area. Uh, Ronnie Watson has been trying to get a wind farm off the ground in, in the uh, PE area. And Gavin is, is Basasa. According to his Zondo Commission testimony, Agrizi said that while not all the Watsons worked at Basasa, the entire family received regular payments from the company. So who is the patriarch of the Basasa family as a whole? Well, it, it used to be, because remember they've been liquidated now, so it used to be Gavin Watson. Andy here says, do you feel genuine remorse for the role that you played in corruption? Most definitely. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't have spent nine days in, in uh, state capture and actually putting it out there. Another one, Mr. Greasy, do you believe that we are all corruptible and that we all have a price? Unfortunately, I have to say yes to that. Because even, and I said this in the commission, even the Pope would get corrupted. Because it's, it's just so enticing and it's, it's actually such a sickness. It's a disease that takes over. It starts small and it just grows and grows. Gavin Watson was the leader. Was he a micromanager? Did he try to get involved in all aspects of the business? Yes, he, he was a micromanager. He would interfere in absolutely everything that people were busy with. Was it because of his political connections made during the struggle years that he was able to elevate himself and his company to such a point? Most definitely. Tell us more about the company and its political links. Well, for instance, if you're entertaining the ruling party or whatever party you're entertaining on a regular basis. Um, you have them at your offices. They run election campaigns from there. You're making sure that everything, every whim that they have is catered for. Obviously, you only do that if you're going to get benefit from the ruling party. And unfortunately, that is something that crept into the company quite early on, I'd say in the 2000 and, uh, 2001 period. And it just perpetuated and perpetuated and actually got out of hand.
South African Minister of Environmental Affairs, Nomvulo Mokonyani, provides an excellent example of how the capture process worked. In his Zondo Commission testimony, Agrizi said he was tasked by Gavin Watson to, quote, see to her family's Christmas needs, unquote, which he did every year since 2002. Agrizi said he provided Christmas provisions to Mokonyani's household that included 120 cases of cold drinks, four cases of high-quality whiskey, 40 cases of beer, 8 lambs, 12 cases of frozen chicken pieces, 200 kilograms of beef, and what he describes as numerous cases of premium brandy and specialty alcohol. Quite a party every year. The goods were fraudulently processed through the Bosasa books, so partly paid for by taxpayers. This captured cabinet minister's benefits, agrees he said, extended to the maintenance of her house, payment for family funerals, and the catering on Mokonyani's instruction for ANC rallies, Lutuli House bashes, and former President Jacob Zuma's birthday parties. It even included paying for the hire of an Audi A3 in China, where the politician's daughter was studying. Mokonyani was brought into the network, agrees he says, 17 years ago, while she was serving as the MEC for safety and security in the ANC-run government of the Gauteng province. Despite Agrizi's disclosures, Mokonyani still serves as a member of President Cyril Ramaphosa's National Cabinet. So he was as politically connected as, as one imagines, imagines him to be? Oh, yes, most definitely. Did you ever get to meet any senior um, politicians as a result of his relationship with them? From the president right the way through. Do you believe that they may have necessarily been corrupted or that they were just friends because of the struggle? Well, I can tell you now that a lot of them were corrupted. As simple as that. As I said in state capture, and I read out and went through all the names, a lot of them were corrupted. Biggest name of all being ANC leader and South African President Jacob Zuma. Agrees he says he packaged 300,000 rand in cash every month for delivery to Zuma through Dudu Mieni, SAA chairperson and head of the Jacob Zuma Foundation. Gavin Watson received some international recognition. Um, in fact, he got an award called the Trailblazer Award. Tell me a bit about that award. Well, I think that the award was, I was critically involved in that. Well, let me rather say I was, I was called into doing it. Um, Martin Sweet from uh, the foundation that does training for children at um, matric level, Matson, that they lost, their sponsor moved out at the last time. And suddenly, you know, they needed a sponsor. So they approached myself. I don't know, I can't remember how they got hold of my name. And they asked me, can we step in and sponsor two million rand? And obviously, I mean, that's corruption in itself. You get two million rand as a sponsorship and you get an award and it really looks good on the, on the foyer when you walk into the company. Would you say that Gavin needs a boost to his ego? Why would he involve himself in an award of this nature if, uh, if he's undeserving? I don't want to go into the personal things. and I really don't want to get into a personal discussion about Gavin Watson or the Watson family. Um, it doesn't concern me, and what they do doesn't concern me. But I think what, it, what is important is sometimes you come across people that have a narcissistic type of approach in a business environment, and it's how do you manage that, and how do people manage that? I, for one, did not know how to manage it, so I fell into the trap. Um, but, yes, there's an image issue, and the Watsons have always been beyond reproach. Did you benefit from this corruption, and if you did, do you plan on paying back the money? 
Yes, I did benefit. And as a matter of fact, there was a claim that I had outstanding um, to the Watsons, and that money will all go to charity. That's his opinion, but the asset forfeiture unit may well take the approach a little further. Agrizi was paid handsomely during almost two decades of criminal activity with the Watsons, ending up with an eye-popping payment of 27 million rands for his services in 2017. By his own admission, all of this is the proceeds of crime. Um, what do you think the message is being sent when a whistleblower, somebody who has acknowledged their role, etc., is arrested so soon after giving testimony at a, a inquiry? Well, it was a bit shocking for us, and I think uh, what's important to note is that there's a team of, of whistleblowers, and they committed, just so you know, for the next uh, eight months to a year, to helping uh, wherever we can to uncover the scourge. We've been working on it for two years, and it was a bit sad for us to be arrested. We know that perhaps there was some reasoning behind it. I'm not too sure, and... Unfortunately, that kind of sends out a message to the general whistleblowers, which we didn't want, that, you know, rather rather don't say anything because you're going to get locked up. On the other hand, Agrizi played a key role in a criminal enterprise for almost two decades. He decided to come clean only after a near-death experience. So for most rational minds, that poses serious questions around Agrizi's apparent status today as a whistleblower. I must say, though, that the arrest was done very professionally. It was um, the gentlemen that were involved with it were extremely helpful, and they were accommodating at all times. So, uh, you know, well done to them, I must say. The NPA, I must say, in my opinion, is doing a great job there. Um, Even with us, I think that, unfortunately, whoever gave the instruction, they made a bit of a mess up there. So it's going to be a job to try and get whistleblowers to come out of their shells again. The obvious question for the average South African is whether this commission is going to make any difference. I think from what I can gather and what people are telling me, I believe that we're going through historically a total game-changing process in South Africa at the moment. You must remember, for so, many, for so long, people have just accepted corruption and life has carried on. People have now become aware to it. I believe the State Capture Commission has done phenomenal work with some other cases. I think the team that they've got at State Capture is brilliant from the investigations team who I work very closely with, right the way through to the evidence leaders, their legal team, and I think Judge Zondo has got his heart in the right place. He's there to try and help the government and help the country heal itself. If there's one thing that we've achieved, and that's making people aware of the extent of corruption, and I think I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the fact that that has, our testimony at State Capture has now sparked off these tribunals. I honestly believe the tribunals will make a difference. Kolani Nkwe Kazi, I hope I pronounced your name right, thank you for the message. He says, how did they pay Jacob Zuma? Well, it was facilitated through Dudu Mieni, and she was given the money every month. It was 300,000 rand in cash. Paul asks the question, Dudu Mieni was paid 300k per month. How does Agrizi know that this ended up with Jay-Z? Well, he might test me, and I don't want to go too much into it, but he might test me. If you look at it in state capture, it's very clear that Gavin Watson then went to Nkandla, had a meeting with the with Zuma, and asked Zuma directly, had a bag with him, gave it to Zuma and says, are you getting this on a monthly basis? Kathy asks the question, why did you instruct somebody to secretly film what was going on at Busasa? Well, it just wasn't somebody. It was actually 
Andries van Tonde. And the reason why we did that, and it was not an instruction, but more mutual agreement that we thought long and hard about, was because Gavin Watson's signature appears nowhere, and we needed to prove that he was well aware of everything. When is something a gift? When is something a bribe? And what actually constitutes gratification? The line should be drawn, as Judge Preller put it in a judgment that he once put. He said, you know, the occasional um, brandy and coke at the bar council, that's kind of okay. But once you start pushing the limits and you start giving a bottle of brandy out, that's actually a bribe. Uh, Opa says, hi, Angelo. Do you think the Watsons are still in the country? That's a good question. Very good question, Opa. I wouldn't know. I don't track them. (laughs) You've testified. You've opened up, you've made some starting revelations, and you're then arrested. What advice do you give other people that were in your position who are now nervous to come forward because they may be afraid that they are arrested following their testimony? Still do it. Do it, even if they're going to arrest you. So what? If they arrest you, you're going to spend an hour or so in front of a magistrate, and you're going to tell your story, and the truth will always come out. So... Quite simply, I mean, I've got 110 pages to go back to um, in my supplementaries. I still haven't completed my testimony, in theory. And I need to go back and give more evidence. So don't stop. Go out there, do it, um, and work with the authorities. Because if we don't, what's going to happen to the children going forward? That was South African criminal kingpin turned whistleblower Angelo Agrizi, who was interviewed by forensic investigator Chad Thomas on the Johannesburg radio station High FM. You're in Johannesburg. You can get the station at 101.9 FM. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.